You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen, amen. Let's continue standing as we open up in a word of prayer. Father, this morning we come to you with eager hearts and grateful hearts. Thank you for all that we've experienced already this morning in this service as we've worshipped you, as we've seen testimony to your goodness and grace. And God, I pray for much more as we open up your word. God, we're needy people. We come in here this morning and we need you desperately. We need you to, for the air that we breathe to give breath to our lungs. We need you, Lord, for salvation, to recognize how desperate sinners we are and how desperate in need of a Savior we are. We need you, God, to open our eyes to see and move our hearts to understand and, and even move our feet to action to live out the Christian life. We're, we're just needy people, God. So as we come to you this morning, we pray that you'd meet us in our deepest need today. Help us simply, Jesus, this morning to see the face of our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat this morning and turn from your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Studying from Mark chapter 8 today. If you don't have your Bible this morning, no problem. Please stick your hand up. We'd love to get you a copy of God's Word that you can follow along and uh, see what God has for you from His Word. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 26 today. I entitled the sermon simply this, Show Me Jesus. Show Me Jesus. Isn't that a heart's longing? Show Me Jesus. Amen? Show Me Jesus. Mark 8, verses 1 to 26. Let me ask you this as we start. You ever been in this place before where you are looking for something and you're, you just can't find it only to realize it's right there in plain sight? All the time. The older you get, the more it happens, right? Honey, where's the ketchup? I can't find the ketchup. I thought we got ketchup. Is it gone already? Where's the ketchup? I just can't see it. She comes over, she's like, it's right here, honey. It's right in the middle of the fridge. Of course, I'm only talking to me, right? None of you other guys. Or your keys. Where are the stinking keys? Like it's now five minutes till we have to leave and I can't find my keys. I can't find my keys. You look everywhere for your keys only to find that you actually hung them up in the exact place they were supposed to be all along. Kids, I can't find my glasses. Anyone with me? Stupid glasses, right? I'll give five bucks to whoever can find my glasses. Like, help me find my glasses. They're running around looking. All of a sudden, one of them looks at me like, Daddy, they're on your head. (laughs) Crummy. Ever looking, but never finding that which is in plain sight. That's how many people go through their whole lives looking for Jesus. He's made himself so abundantly clear. We're just studying the book of Mark. Jesus is abundantly clear. He's, he's given us uh, his word. He's given us, God's given us his word. He's given us creation. And Jesus made himself plainly clear on this earth. He, he lived, he taught with, with exuberance and with astonishing wisdom. He did miracles. And yet so many people still can't seem to find Jesus. They look for him everywhere and can't find him. The reality is this we learned today, that it's only by the grace of God that he can open our eyes to truly see the reality of Jesus Christ. And so unless God comes in and helps us, just like we need help finding the ketchup in our glasses and our keys, 
We will spend our lives looking for Jesus and never truly find him. Truly, we are needy people at the mercy of God, even for the basic reality of seeing Jesus. This morning, as we look at Mark chapter eight, we come into a place where we find all kinds of people looking for Jesus, but never able to see him. My prayer this morning is simply this. If you've not yet seen Jesus, maybe today be the day you see Jesus Christ. Let's all turn our eyes to the text and look for Jesus Christ. Already at this point in Mark, we should realize this is the pivotal chapter in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark is, this chapter eight kind of ends the first section of Mark and really the whole point of the first part of Mark is simply this, that we know that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, the king of the universe. He's not, he's not a liar. He's not a lunatic as C.S. Lewis, Lewis says. He is the Lord. And so Mark chapter eight, we see Jesus at the end of chapter seven with him in Gentile territory now, remember taking the love of Christ and the, and the teaching of Jesus into the place where we would not expect him to go, the love and care of Jesus uh, to, the, to the Gentiles. And so we saw Jesus last week uh, performing miracles of the Gentiles, showing them the reality of Jesus. And Mark chapter eight start, starts with another miracle. It's, it's the miracle of 4,000. We're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we just hear a sermon on this a couple weeks ago? The miracle of the 5,000? Now what's going on in Mark chapter six, right? Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now he's feeding 4,000. Something fishy's going on. It's not fishy at all. It's actually Jesus performing the same miracle he did in Jewish territory, now in Gentile territory, showing them the reality of Jesus Christ. Another miracle. It's, we see in the text we're going to learn today. It's not a different miracle. It's another one, but it's so similar to the last one that I'm just going to say, if you want to know about the feeding of the 5,000, 4,000, just go back and listen to the last sermon, okay? Is that good? Won't rehash all that, but, but just want you to know that Jesus is performing miracles now in Gentile territory where we never expect him to do it. And he's even the Jewish people are kind of confused. Like, why are you doing that over there? It's kind of like us saying, why would you do something over there, like out at church? So don't you, isn't your presence supposed to be in church? Well, God, God is so loving and gracious. He takes his presence everywhere. And if you see at the end of this, starting at verse 11, we're going to look at verses 11 to 26 today. The Pharisees, still debating with all these things, they demand a sign from Jesus. The, 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 so obviously plain is Jesus. The Pharisees still demand a sign. Let me read the text and we'll unpack it. Verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. To argue with who? With Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven. Let's just say it's not a good idea to argue with Jesus, all right? You look dumb every time. Looking for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat and went to the other side. Verse 14, now they'd forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Remember, 12 baskets? And he said to them, and they said to him, 12, and, and seven for the 4,000. So Jesus is even saying these are two different miracles. So let's just end that debate, right? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit in his eye, on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. It's all fuzzy. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, his, and, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home saying, do not 
even enter the village. This, this, all, these, this whole, all these stories revolve around one thing. It's Jesus giving spiritual sight to those who don't see. Let's just unpack this verse by verse, starting at verse 11. Let me encourage you to write this in your notes. Point number one, this whole give me a sign mentality actually reveals my closed eyes. The give me a sign mentality actually reveals that my eyes are closed. This is one that we can relate with. And this is one that's in every four of the gospels, this whole demand a sign thing. I think it's in there because, man, isn't that human tendency? We've seen Jesus do so many things in our lives and in our church and all around us, and yet somehow we still get to this place. Isn't it baffling to you? Our own fickle human hearts is baffling to me. We get to this place where we're like, okay, God, now give me a sign this time. You ever been there? But give me a sign this time, God. I really want to know you're real. For real, for real, for real this time. All the while, Jesus looking at us going like, but don't you see all the signs I've given you already? Do you really need another sign? This is what he's saying to the Pharisees here, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 16 is the parallel passage in, the, in Matthew's account. It lists the Sadducees at the same time. So the, this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They come and begin to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign for heaven, it says here. Who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They're actually religious people. They're the ones that we look up to in our, in our Christian faith that they're here today. The Pharisees were a religious sect, you know, part of the middle-class businessmen who kind of were like lay leaders in the church. And they held a lot of power, but they were a little bit like the holier-than-thou snobs, right? They're like, I got it all figured out and you don't. And so the Pharisees are these people that we'd be like, oh, wow, they do have a little bit figured out because they kind of gave that aura. And they held some strong positions in the church, in the synagogue. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were like the... the uh, Wealthy aristocrats that actually ran the joint. They were the ones who held all the positions of offices, the high priests and the Sanhedrins and the chief priests. And, and, and they, were, uh, they actually ran the church. They had it little, again, had it all together. They had the good ties of the Roman government. In fact, they had such good ties of the Roman government. They actually tried to please the Roman government more than God. So there's a little flaw in their system too. They're kind of like, kind of hobnobbing, trying to make all peace with the church and the state and taking the side of the state more than the church. And so these are the guys that are really trying to protect themselves or, spiritual parties, it's interesting, there's spiritual parties that oftentimes are at odds with each other until it came to focusing against Jesus Christ. It's sort of like football fans and the Patriots, right? I've got my team and they're going to play against other teams when they play against the Patriots, we all band together, like beat the Patriots. This is sort of like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, like they just had this hate on for Jesus so they came together to fight against Jesus. And so one of the popular Jewish beliefs of the time was that all these miracles they'd seen Jesus do and heard firsthand that he did, they're like, I don't know, is it really of God? One of the common uh, Jewish superstitions was that demons could mimic earthly miracles, just like in um, the magicians in Pharaoh's court back in Exodus chapter uh, 7, verse 11, but only God could work wonders of the sky. So all this miracle stuff, yeah, like this could be evil stuff. They're still in this camp of like, they still were in the Facebook group of like, Jesus is the devil, wearing a t-shirt too, you know what I mean? We can't really be God. It's just earthly things. What about a sign from heaven is what they're asking. In other words, like, prove it. If you're like me, you're like, man, at this point of the book of Mark, we're only eight chapters in, but like, what is it gonna take for these guys to drop it and just believe? Sort of the question we ask from some of our friends, right? Like, what's it gonna take for you to just drop the prove it thing? Maybe it's even you today. What's it going to take just to drop the prove it thing and to just believe in Jesus? Let's be honest. At this point, like Jesus could show up and 
sprout wings on a dog and make him fly. And they'd be like, wow, the wind was strong today. I'm trying to test them again. Like, not like test them as in like prove yourself, but like test them as in like we've already pronounced you guilty in our minds. And now we just want to like put the gavel of judgment firmly down, basically thinking, man, if he can not do a sign from heaven, then for sure we can just end this Jesus case once and for all. Here's the kicker. There already has been signs from heaven in the book of Mark. Remember Mark chapter one at his baptism? What happened there? That's a pretty significant sign from heaven, don't you think? Voice from above. Didn't happen this morning at this baptism. Didn't happen at my baptism. Happened at one baptism. Whose was that? Oh yeah, Jesus. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. A dove kind of hovers. Like there's some signs from heaven. Remember Mark chapter four and Mark chapter six, both chapters we learned about uh, Jesus calming the storm and telling the, the, the winds and the waves to shut up and they were silent. Stop it. Like those are pretty significant signs from heaven. Even if a sign from heaven was gonna happen, I just want you to notice this in the New Testament, the Gospels, only one Pharisee in all of the Gospels ever saw a sign and said, that's Jesus, I'm gonna repent and believe. And that was Nicodemus in John chapter three, verse two. Nicodemus said this, Rabbi, we, have, we know you've come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs unless you do unless God is with him. The bottom line is for the Pharisees and for many people in our culture, like a sign is not going to convince them anyway. Why? We're going to get to that at the end because Jesus has to open our eyes to see. And yet they still demand a sign. They demand a sign. So Jesus sighs deeply. We saw this again in the end of chapter 7. Remember the sigh of compassion he had for the deaf man. Sort of like, man, man, I just see your pain and I feel your anguish. This wasn't that kind of sigh. This was more of a like a frustrated sigh when you're your kids and they're just kind of like get to that point where they're like, okay, stop bugging me now. Like, ah. It's sort of the side that Jesus gives in this point. Why is he so exasperated? And why does he say this? Why does this generation seek a sign? Like, why do you need a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation because he has already given them enough signs that they ought to believe. I've given you all the signs that you need. In fact, Matthew chapter 16, again, the parallel passage of this in verses one to four gives us deeper in, insight into this. Now, here's what it says in Matthew 16, verses one to four. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him and asked him for a sign from heaven. He said this to them in that account, which is the same account. Just Mark chose to leave this out. When it is evening, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy for the sky is red and threatening. Ever heard the red skies and at night, sailors, red skies in the morning, sailors. Oh, wow, it's in the Bible. Look at that. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times? In other words, guys, you're better at meteorology than the Channel 4 weatherman. Like, it's not that hard to figure out. And it amazes me that you're so good at meteorology, you know what the weather's gonna be tomorrow, but all the signs that I've given you about Jesus Christ, like the Messiah, the Old Testament prophecies, uh, 300 prophecies foreshadowing Jesus Christ. You know the Old Testament. Can't you see the signs? You can read the skies, but you can't read the scriptures? An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. 
but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. So there has been a sign, the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? Well, you, we see the sign of Jonah. Flip up the next passage here. We see the sign of Jonah clearly in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 to 40. Again, they're asking for a sign. And even the adulterous generation seeks a sign, for no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus is like, remember that miracle? Again, for those of you who doubt miracles, Jonah was just like this superstitious thing or whatever. Jesus just said it was true. Notice that? Jesus said Jonah happened. So what do we say? Jonah happened, right? And so Jesus says the sign of Jonah. That was a foreshadowing Jonah. Remember they get swallowed by the whale? And then they regurgitate it out and great things happen. That's just a sign of what's to come for Jesus. Jesus is going to spend three nights, not in the belly of a whale, but three nights after suffering death on the cross, three nights in the grave, only to be raised again to give newness of life. In other words, the cross. Jonah points to the cross. That's the only sign you need is a sign of Jonah pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ, he's saying, is going to be your sign as evidenced by Jonah for us. The cross of Jesus Christ is our sign. God is real, he loves us, and he cares for us, and he sent his son to die for us, we might have eternal life. And saying to the Pharisees, if you can't see this, then nothing's going to make you see. If you can't see the cross from this side, then I'm not sure what is going to make you see apart from a miracle of Jesus Christ. It's true as we study this, you always have to stop and pause when you get to this point in text and say, man, what's God trying to teach me? What's God trying to teach us? Nothing's in here by accident. It's all on purpose. This whole Pharisees demand a sign. I think what God's trying to teach us is it's so indicative of our generation, our culture, maybe even our hearts today, this idea for God, prove it again, prove it again, prove it again, when Jesus really has nothing more to prove to us. You know what demand for a sign really is? It's really an all about me mentality that really expects God to jump at my every whim and to meet at my every little demand and to really revolve around me instead of me revolving around God. Here's, here's what this, uh, prove it to me. Maybe, maybe you have this this morning. I just want to encourage you. If you do, like, we can just drop it today. Here's what an encouragement, here's the encouragement of this. What a, what a prove it, what a prove-it mentality really is, it's, it's demands. It's demanding from God what I think he should do and how he should do it and when he should do it. It's an expectation. It's not even an expectation on God. It's putting my expectations on God. And ultimately, it's rejecting God for who God really is, for God has given us all that we need in the scriptures. And yet, how many times, how many times would we even say this? If only I could touch and experience God once more, then I would truly, 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 fully believe. And yet, God then then comes and does some great things in our lives, and yet we still find ways to pass it off and next week demand another sign. Think about this, how many times you've asked God for a sign, and so God comes and saves that life from the horrible accident, allows that person to be restored to a healthy life when there is no real physical way they should, and then we just say, wow, the doctors were great in that circumstance. God, give me a sign. Prove yourself again. Or we ask God, we say, God, prove your, prove your reality by restoring this marriage. And God comes in and uh, supernaturally restores the marriage. And he's like, oh, man, that marriage got restored by this, this, this self-help guru, man. He was, did such wonders in their lives. Are, are they ever strong people? And we... 
miss the signs that God gives us. Ever done that? Prove it. He proves it. And then we want another sign or... Maybe it's this, we're, we're in such financial need and for some reason the, the check shows up at the door and you're like, wow, well, we are lucky today. God, prove yourself again. We beg the Lord for circumstances. God, this circumstance, just do something in the circumstance. Show me you're real, do something in the circumstance. And he comes and he, he rearranges our circumstance and we're like, wow, what a coincidence. On our merry little way. Missing the reality that God is constantly proving himself to us and is not obligated in our lives to prove himself in any other way than what he is sovereignly designed to do so. He's given us his word. Think of this. He's given us his word. Written over 1,500 years in three different continents and three different languages by 40 different authors, yet cohesive from start to finish. That's a great sign he's given us. Look at creation. Look at creation itself. Stand outside and look at the stars and count them. You can't because it's a sign of God's evidence of God in this world. Creation is a sign of the everlasting God. It takes more faith to believe in two inanimate objects banging together and creating life than to step outside and say, wow, look at the God of creation. God has proven himself. He's proven himself most clearly through Jesus Christ, his very own son, in leaving heaven and coming to earth and living the life we could not possibly live in perfection and dying the death that we should definitely die because of our sin. He's proven himself to us over and over and over. What more is it gonna take? for us to simply just surrender and believe and trust and follow. Honestly, the give me a sign mentality is just a sign of unbelief and an excuse to continue living in our unbelief. If you're there this morning, I ask you to pray right now, God, give me belief where there's unbelief. Be prone to that this morning. God, help me drop my sign mentality and just trust. Give me faith. Pharisees and Sadducees were blind as bats when it came to Jesus. And yet you look at the disciples who were supposed to be so enlightened and they were just as prone to short-term blindness as the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so Jesus takes all these things and he's, he's teaching them lessons as he teaches us. Point number two, as we get to the next section, verses 14 to 21, is this. Beware of religion that skews my view of Jesus. Beware of religion that skews my view of Jesus. And just like Jesus longed for the Pharisees and Sadducees, just see, just see, see me plainly, just see me plainly. So he longs for his disciples to, to not get distracted or dissuaded, just to see him plainly. Some may not be legally blind in the Christian faith, but so often their sight function is so limited they may as well be. So look at the disciples. This, we resonate with the disciples, right? That's what I love about them. I'm not talking down to you today. I, I am one of the disciples for sure. So here's the disciples in verse 14. They've forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf of them in the boat. And so they're starting to think about it. Hey, did you bring lunch? Nope. Did you bring lunch? Nope. Did you bring lunch? Well, who brought Subway? I thought you were supposed to stop at Subway on the way by. We don't have any bread. Shouldn't be really a debate. Remember, we just saw Jesus. They were with him when he fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000. This should be the last thing on their minds. But yet Jesus, in all of his wisdom and grace, he doesn't get fr- I'd be like, would you stop it, you morons? Jesus is so calm and compassionate. He's asked them some probing questions, right? And he uses this, this they're talking about bread to like teach them a, spiritual reality about the Pharisees and Sadducees, about their blindness. And he says this, he says, watch out. Caution them, saying, watch out. And speaking of bread, let me use this as an illustration. Watch out for the 
Or beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Like, hey guys, just watch out. You know, you just seen me do all these miracles and you saw the Pharisees and Sadducees could not see me even though the miracles. I just want you to watch out and, and not buy into their worldly religious philosophies that'll help you not see me instead of clearly see me. And he uses this illustration of leaven and bread. We know what leaven and bread is, right? The, the yeast and bread. Um, clearly, you use yeast and bread, and your bread overflows to overflowing. You don't use yeast and bread, and it's unleavened bread. Disciples would have understood this from their day. Um, what Jesus was trying to teach them was the influence, the, the yeast influences the whole loaf. And, and he's trying to teach them that, that a little bit of bad yeast can influence the whole loaf of bread and make it unfit to be edible. In the Old Testament, Jesus used unleavened bread as, uh, unleavened bread was used in Old Testament religious festivals as a way of honoring God. In the New Testament, Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven as a way of almost saying it's not good. The old leaven is not good. In fact, the Hebrew custom in both biblical and modern times of clearing the, is, is to clear the home of yeast before Passover is celebrated. And so yeast is seen in these contexts as a biblical symbol of sin. And Jesus is saying, watch out that the, you don't buy into their philosophies, you don't buy into their blindness, and you end up with this little bit of sin spoiling the whole reality. And it's a warning to them. What's the leaven of the Pharisees? The leaven of the Pharisees included this, an elevation of the law above the heart, tradition over the word, and this duplicity that presented themselves as model citizens when in essence, in the inside, they should be on death row. This outward religious, beware of that. It's going to skew your view of the real Jesus. What's the leaven of the Pharisees? One commentator said it this way. He boils down to pragmatism, rationalism, and materialism. Pragmatism in my own words. If it works, go for it. That's all you need. If it works, do it. What's, what's rationalism? It's mind over matter. If it's logical to you, it's... What's right and doesn't matter what God says, as long as it's logical to you, then mind over matter, just go after it. And materialism is sort of this money rules. And Sadducees even exploit people financially. This, this materialistic mindset that is so easy to come in, this religiosity, this spiritual mindset, this holy mindset that has nothing to do with Jesus, maybe. Be careful of these things. They will ruin you. The Sadducees even miss some key doctrinal truths like the resurrection of the body and the immortality of the soul. Like, beware of those things. What's the leaven of Herod? Well, we learned just a few chapters ago that Herod was the guy who put John the Baptist to death because he loved his, poist his boisterous lifestyle of beer and buddies and booties more than anything else. Beware of those things. The worldliness that can creep in and Herod ultimately lived by the gospel of Herod and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is taking this example like, hey, hey, here's where spiritual blindness happens. Sometimes people are born blind. Sometimes blindness can come onset over life. And, and be careful that you see clearly now, but these things don't come in and, and cause your sight of Jesus to be diminished over and over again. It gives a warning to these things. It gives a warning to the disciples, to his church, to us today. To be careful, we keep our eyes purely and simply on Jesus Christ, not buy into these otherworldly philosophies, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Herodians. It's a warning. It's not like, a, hey, be careful. It's like a warning, like, don't go there. 
When I was a kid, I used to deliver newspapers. From the time I was like in grade one, I delivered newspapers right up, and it was fun. You got your five cents a flyer, and you'd add it up as you go, and you made a good, good buck and a half for spending an hour and a half out in the cold. It was amazing. One of the things about papers I did not like was that those beware of dog signs, you know, you come up against the beware of dog signs, and you, your sister's standing at the end of the driveway, you go deliver this one. No, you go deliver this one. Line up your bag in front of your legs in case there was a dog. You know, you're shoving, you got this plan in order. You're going to like make him bite the bag and throw the bag and run like hack. You know, you got a whole plan. But when you saw a beware of dog sign, like you took notice, right? Like in your mind as a kid, you're like, my life could be over in the next 45 seconds if I don't place my bag right and play this well. Like beware. Beware, beware of dog sign is not like a, Oh, interesting. It's like a pedal a little faster when you go by that house. Get to the mailbox and get to the sidewalk as quick as you can. Be on your guard. Have your senses top notch. Now's not the time to sleep or walk or slough. Like, this is what Jesus is saying to us as we think of our view of Jesus. Some people can't see him at all, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Some people can see him, but man, they're not bewaring at all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodian mindsets that comes into our lives and limits our view of Jesus. Jesus teaching his disciples, hey, the Pharisee mindset, this like law over heart and exterior thing, like be on your guard against that. That dog will bite you and eat you. Sadducee mindset of this self-righteousness also, but this pragmatism, well, if it works, I'm going to go with it. If it makes sense to me, I'm going to do it. And materialistic rules, like, like beware of that mindset that's going to cause you not just not to see Jesus clearly, it's going to, it's going to gobble you up. It's going to bite your ankle and drag you back into the, the doghouse. Leaven of Herod, absolutely, right? It's so easy to buy into the ways of the world. Start making our own rules or living by the world's rules, but... You don't, have a chance to get arm, you don't have a chance to get an arm's reach of this heresy. It's a warning. You want to clearly see Jesus steer clear of all these different things. They will gobble you up and cause you to not see Jesus. So Jesus tells them this little thing in verse 15, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Hey, who brought lunch? I didn't bring lunch. You bring lunch? Jesus is like, hey, I got an illustration for you. I got a good story to tell you that's going to be a spiritual point. They listen, like our kids listen to us. By the way, who brought lunch? You see a 7-Eleven? Can we stop at 7-Eleven? Got snacks? Like, I didn't bring lunch. You bring lunch? They missed the whole point. They began discussing with one of the fact that they had no bread again. Isn't that wild? I don't feel so bad sometimes about being dense when it comes to the things of God. We've said it over and over. You've got to learn lessons many times. This is why, because we're dense, just like disciples. Jesus said bread. Maybe you think of McDonald's. I like McDonald's. Can we go to McDonald's? Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Showing again that they've been enlightened, but man, our vision can be skewed even though we've been enlightened. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts so hardened? This is disciples he's speaking to now, don't forget. Are your hearts so hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Like, 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 are your eyes swollen, spiritually swollen with pride or spiritually swollen with sin or spiritually swollen with all these different philosophies? They're so swollen you can't see. Are your ears so enamored with other things other than God and his word? they so enamored that this is like, this is wax build up now that you can't even hear God anymore? Like, what, the voice of Jesus, what's going on? 
Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and the 12 baskets taken up? Like, like forget about your physical desires right now. Like, I'm going to solve all that stuff. I've proven it over and over. Remember the seven baskets? Interesting, too. The seven baskets and 12 baskets are different. Just a little side note, pastoral geek stuff. Seven baskets were those big baskets. You know the ones that they let Paul down through the walls of Damascus in? Those big baskets? That's what the seven baskets left over from the Gentile miracle was. Like, amazing. Don't you remember all this abundance that you were left with? Like, surely I'm going to take care of your physical needs. But you don't understand I'm talking about spiritual things right now. What you need more than your physical needs met is eyes to see Jesus Christ. What's going on? Why do the disciples get, they get an F in discernment? Do they get an A in stubbornness? Gold star for oblivious? Like what's going on? Reality is this, is that we constantly need Jesus to open our eyes to the truth of who he is that we sometimes forget. We're so needy of Jesus. We need him, not just for salvation, we need him to continually open our eyes to see the truth of Jesus or else we'll end up walking through our lives with this facade of thinking we know all about Jesus but missing the true sight of who Jesus really is. We need Jesus to give sight to our souls desperately and deeply. Let me ask you this. Even when you come to church, when you get to your Bible reading, when you, when you go through your daily routines, are you asking Jesus for eyes to see him plainly or clearly? Or do you figure at this point you got it all figured out by now? Are you asking for another glimpse of Jesus, for more truth to be revealed, for your eyes to be opened wider? Or are you content with where you are in your spiritual faith? Are you content with just a little bit of sight and maybe a lot of blindness? Or do you want your eyes wide open to the reality of Jesus? It's eyes wide. It's, it's, it's a spiritual perception that Jesus wants to give us. Soul sight is seeing Jesus. Here's three ways that Jesus wants us to see him. Maybe brand new again. Maybe renewed again in our hearts. It's a spiritual perception. Jesus wants to give us spiritual perception. In other words, to ask for discernment when it comes to the things of God. Just because it has a God label on it doesn't mean it's of God. It doesn't. Books and radio broadcasts and YouTube videos and preachers with Christian philosophies that we easily get sucked into, maybe unknowingly living like a Pharisee or a Sadducee or the leaven of Herod. Here's what Jesus wants us to be renewed with again today, a desire for true spiritual perception that only finds Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us this, test everything Test everything. Like the Bereans in the word of God, test everything. Know the word, study the word. Test everything to see if it's truly eyes on Jesus or we get our eyes off of Jesus and onto the things of the world. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil, it says. Invest in the word of God. Where do you get your spiritual perception from? It's right here, the word of God. This is your guide. This is your nourishment. This is your sight. This is where you find all of Jesus Christ. You know what the enemy loves to do? He loves to wrap God wrappings, Jesus wrappings around evil things. That spiritual eyes can't discern what's truly on the inside of it. Jesus wants to give us spiritual perception. Jesus also wants to give us this spiritual understanding. 
Spiritual understanding. Again, so often we come to the word of God, I think, and, and where does our blindness come from, our temporary blindness? It comes from the fact that we really don't want to find God. We really don't want to find Jesus in the word. We want to have him aligned with all of my ideas and all of my preferences and all of my agendas and all of my comfort. And so I come to the word of God, not with a God, show me, God, teach me. I want to see Jesus. We come to the God, affirm me. God, comfort me and cuddle me. And make me be okay with whatever's going on in my life. Jesus wants us to, to get rid of that mentality and come to him. And, and instead of having his truth align with us, he wants us to have true understanding of so our lives will align with his truth. That's true spiritual sight. He wants you to come and, and allow the word sometime to, sometimes to hit us between our eyes and, and, and convict us and, and bring us to a place of repentance and Jesus wants to give us true spiritual understanding that only comes as we ask him for wisdom and understanding and applying the word of God. Jesus also wants to give us this, this morning, a renewed spiritual enlightenment. A renewed spiritual enlightenment. The disciples in this text needed enlightenment. They needed enlightenment. Ephesians 1.18 says that the, the eyes of the heart are enlightened by God. Do you know this this morning, that you can truly be enlightened to the reality of God brand new each and every day? He wants you to see him every day. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, get this. You can even right now ask God, show me the full reality of who you are. He wants to enlighten your heart to the truth of who he is. And he doesn't stop enlightening our hearts to the truth of who he is. And it doesn't get old and boring and stale. It actually gets more alive and more real and more exciting as the days go on. The more you know Jesus, the more you experience Jesus, the more enlightened your heart becomes, the more awesome Jesus becomes. That's true spiritual enlightenment. When you ask Jesus for this, when you seek him, it says in Jeremiah 29, 13, when you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. You will find him. Jesus does not want to be hidden from our lives. He does not want his path hidden from your path. Here's a spiritual enlightenment. It's not just knowing Jesus and, and Philippians 3, considering everything else rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. But get this, Jesus wants you to know his path on this life. The faith highway that leads to Truth Avenue, that leads to Obedience Drive, that leads to the Way Street and finds yourself at God's house. God wants you to know that path through spiritual enlightenment. He wants you to drive faith highway that leads to truth Ave and obedience drive, which makes a right on Way Street, which finds yourself at God's house. God wants you to be enlightened to the full reality of what he has planned for your life. God's plan for your life is not a mystery. It's not something you have to discover. God wants to open your eyes to see it. You need to be willing to humble yourself and have your eyes open. It's really the last point of this text here is God wants to open our eyes is the miracle of the blind man of Bethsaida. Here's the truth today. Giving sight to blind eyes is Jesus' specialty. Giving sight to blind eyes is Jesus' specialty. And again, we come to these miracles and we're not in a place generally where we're like, oh, that's brand new because we've seen him do so many neat things over the last seven chapters, so many amazing things. And yet Jesus now is coming back to Bethsaida close to where he fed the 5,000. So he's coming back from Gentile territory and people are like, he's back! Bring out the dead, right? Bring out the blind, bring out the deaf. And they come running up to him with a blind man. And, and again, notice this, they're begging him. We learned this last week. They begged him to touch the blind man. In other words, there's some things that we can never do. We need to beg Jesus to do. Get on our knees and truly beg. And they begged him just to touch him. Think of this. this think how significant this miracle is. This man was blind and now he sees. 
There's a lot of ailments we can come up with in life, right? We can get sick. We can even be deaf, like last week, the deaf man. But blind has got to be the worst of them all, don't you think? Life of darkness. Unable to see where you're going. And Back in Jesus' day, they didn't have glasses. They didn't have these laser eye surgeries. Can you imagine being born blind and not seeing your whole life? Apparently, if you study blindness, uh, those who are born blind can't even have, don't even have dreams of seeing things because they've never seen anything to experience. And they're crazy, hey? Can you imagine that emptiness and the loneliness of that? And the, even the, I'm a little claustrophobic, so the fear of being blind terrifies me. Like dark all the time terrifies me. This is man's reality. Again, in Jesus' day, that was looked at as a curse. You're blind or you're deaf. Like, that's just the curse of God. So ostracized, for sure. You know, blind people are often the ones on the streets begging. Even when we went to Jerusalem, they're still on the street corners begging. Like, they're blind. They, they rely on other people. And so this guy's friends, again, take him to Jesus, going, Man, there's only one hope for this guy. There's only one hope in the world, and that is Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus. He does the same thing he did with the deaf man. He takes him by the hand. Again, the personal touch. He leads him. He doesn't like, shazam, you're healed. He wants this to be an intimate reality of knowing the power of God and the personal touch of a Savior. He takes him by the hand, leads him out of the village, and he spit on his eyes. Again, the same thing with the deaf man spitting in his ears. He spit on his eyes. And what's that about? Probably showing him the healing power, the beliefs power in the saliva again so the healing power and just the touch and the embrace showing it's not like an abracadabra thing just showing hey Jesus has all the power what's in his remember his words spoke the universe into being his saliva uh, heals blind eyes which is unheard of in this day and age lays his hands on them and interesting in this passage he looked up and he didn't see clearly the first time it's kind of like the I see but there's like tree trunks, there's fuzziness going on. And so then Jesus went and did it again and opened his eyes and his sight was restored. You got to ask questions about that, right? Because everyone else, Jesus is like, he, when you read scripture, I hope you ask questions. You ask questions, you read scripture, you're just going to blaze through it and like not stop and think about it. I hope you ask questions, right? Logical question of this is like, what's going on? When Jesus touches, doesn't he just heal like that? Like Jesus healing is always complete and always perfect. Well, maybe this passage is showing you maybe Jesus heals in different ways in different people's lives. So we don't get this expectation, this little cookie cutter thing. Well, Jesus is going to heal me. This is the way it's going to happen. Like, maybe Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to heal my way. And I'm going to do it in the way that I think, in the way that I want to bring most glory to myself. And we should stop questioning and just start believing that Jesus wants to heal. In his way. And in his time. If that's his sovereign plan. But the reality is Jesus healed this man differently, which I think just shows the creative nature of God and, and the full reality of Jesus' prerogative to do whatever he wants in our lives whenever he wants and however he wants. Some say it's a lack of faith of the, of the, the blind man. I, I don't know about that. I think he's just straight, straining hard to see, right? And maybe it's from all those years. Maybe he had crusties in there. He had to get the crusties out. We don't know. Reality is, bottom line is, Jesus healed him. Jesus took a blind man. Think about this. Jesus took a blind man and made him see Put yourself in the blind man's shoes. We see all the time now these laser surgeries, right? I read this story about a guy for a few years ago that um, Michael May was his name. He was blinded at three, and for 42 years he lived without sight, and then he had this laser eye surgery and he could see. And just seeing his kids for the first time, just the pictures of the joy in his face. Can you picture this guy, like seeing people for the first time, not with laser eye surgery, though, with like the healing touch of Jesus? Wow, what a miracle! 
What a miracle. Can you, can you imagine the gratitude, the, 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 the joy, the fullness of life? And like, like, I, I just want to walk around looking now and seeing and experiencing all that I've missed for all these years. This is the reality of, of what Jesus did to a physical man so that he could show us the truth of what he wants to do to our spiritual beings. More than healing our physical sight, Jesus longs to heal our spiritual sight so that our eyes will be wide open to Jesus so that we can see him for the first time, which is far greater than seeing your kids, that we can then walk through this life with this holy awe of the full reality of Jesus Christ. Wow, look at Jesus. Look at what he's doing and look how he's created and look at how he's working in my life. I just want to have my eyes wide to Jesus. This is the whole point of the text is that Jesus goes beyond the physical and he does these things spiritually. Only Jesus can open spiritually blind eyes and he does so for the glory of Jesus for all who'd come in faith and repentance. This is the full reality, the miracle of Jesus. This is the gospel that we so love and appreciate. Brothers and sisters, don't forget, ever forget that you were once blind, but now you see. Awesome. Are you still looking? Or have you gotten used to now seeing Jesus? And now it's just the same old, same old, every day with whatever. I've seen it before, I've experienced it before. Or are you still in this place of like, I can see. I can see Jesus and I want to experience and see more of Jesus. Jesus, open my blind eyes and now my whole life revolves around seeing him and his work and his activity and I'm never gonna be done seeing Jesus. I can't get enough. I just want to experience the full life that Jesus has me by simply seeing him. With all that he's designed me to see him with and experience in him. I was blind and now I see. This is what Jesus came to do. Isaiah 9, verse 2, prophesying about Jesus Christ. The people who walked in darkness now have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Jesus came in Matthew to bright light shining over the whole earth. In Isaiah 42 and Luke 4, he came to open the eyes of the blind. In John 1, 5, light shines in darkness and darkness cannot overcome it. In, in so many different places, Jesus came to cause us to see. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus? Remember Paul on the road to Damascus? Why did he make him blind? Why did he make him blind? Only to restore his sight. Because he wanted to show us the spiritual reality of what Jesus does. He wanted Paul to see the full reality of his, his darkened spiritual state. I've got nothing without Jesus. I am as blind as a bat. I can't see anything. I am hopeless. I am fearful. And yet Jesus opened his eyes to show him the full reality, the power of God in a spiritual sense. And that's what he's done with us as believers. Please don't stop rejoicing the fact that you were once blind, but now you see. And this morning, if you're here and you don't see Jesus, you might know all about him. You might have been dragged to church here by your mom and your dad or your brother, or your sister, or your cousin, or your uncle. You might be here for a baptism, but here's the reality. You're here for more than just a baptism. You're here for more than just to sing some songs and hear a sermon. You're here that Jesus would open your blind eyes to see. How do you know if your eyes are closed? Because you don't give a rip about anything I just said. And you're bored out of your tree and you just can't wait to get home and have whatever you're having for lunch. How do you know your eyes are blind? You're looking at all this stuff, and you're like, yeah, whatever. It's not true. He believes it, but it's not true. This church believes it. It's baloney. How do you know your eyes are blind? How do you know your eyes are blind? You couldn't care less about God or about Jesus Christ. You're unmoved by his sacrifice, the fact that he sent his only son, the fact that he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins. You couldn't care less. You couldn't care less about experiencing Jesus in this life. You couldn't care less about the next life and what Jesus has to offer you in the next life. You're just happy to be alive. You think you got it all figured out. And you're just going to live your life. And whatever happens, happens. 
That's spiritual blindness. That's utter spiritual darkness. Jesus came to give you life. To ignite your heart to the things of him. To cause you to long for him and long for his word and see the power in prayer. And long to be closer and closer than you ever have been in your life. Jesus came to give you the abundant life that you could see and understand and know his plan for your life and his meaning and purpose for your life, that you can experience a true relationship with the living God of the universe. Are you kidding me? That's the greatest gift you could ever have been given. To now walk in the newness of life that he has designed for us. Amazing. If there's any doubt to the nature of who Jesus is, Mark chapters one to eight, like they put it to rest. They put it to rest. He is the king He is the Lord. He is the almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is God himself, Jesus Christ. Is he your God today? Is he fully the God of your life? Are you blind and needing sight? Ask God today, God, I need sight. I can't make myself see. I need sight. Do you see, but you're finding that your eyes are getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer to the glory of Jesus? Stop again, God. I need, I need the full reality of Jesus, God. I, I need to have my eyes wide open again. Make this slowing down heart beat faster again for the glory of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you are all in and you're seeing Jesus. Just rejoice today. Just rejoice today. Just rejoice today. Thank you, God, for the fullness of Jesus that I can see and know. All of us today, here's our prayer. Help me see Jesus even more today than I did yesterday. Let's pray. God, you lay it out so plainly in your word, so obvious. Our prayer this morning is, God, as the friends brought their blind friend to see you, God, and begged you for sight. God, we beg you for sight this morning. Give us eyes to see Jesus, wherever we are. Give us eyes to see Jesus. Give us minds to comprehend. Give us hearts that are on fire for Jesus. Give us feet, Lord, that will go anywhere with you for the glory of your son. God, for those that are in darkness today, there's nothing else I can say. There's nothing else I can do. Holy Spirit, come and make blind eyes see today. We beg of you for the fame of the name of Jesus and the hope that is so desperately needed in all of our hearts. Amen.